I got a chance to visit Connect this year. There was a panel discussion on the movie The Engineers. It's on Netflix actually. So it was quite an eye opener for me. Let's see what the experts have to talk about it. Is that it is poorly designed propaganda to try to convince you of a truth that on the net balance is by no means clear and probably actually the opposite if you were going to push the, the limits on that. So unfortunately it's one of the many in a long line of Netflix documentaries that pose as revealed wisdom or knowledge but in fact convey a highly biased and wildly inaccurate view of the world to individuals that invest their intellectual capacities into such a movie will have gone astray from the path towards the truth until and unless they come back. And not all of them come back. So uh, I have very, very little respect or admiration for that movie. And I can go into incredible detail as to why, point by point. But why do that when my colleague Meadow has already written an article to that exact effect? Mr. Henselman. All right, let's, let's hear some views from Meadow. Propaganda is definitely the, the good term for such a movie. In fact, I would say that the maze, the, the movie does two things very well. First, it shows that a vegan diet can be viable if you pay good attention to your diet. And that was probably the message where they should have stopped, but instead of that, they went beyond the message and said a vegan diet is best for everything. Strength sports, endurance sports, your health, it doesn't matter, everything. Vegan diet is best, and meat is bad, and that's where it turns into complete propaganda. I'd say that the second thing the movie does well is how good it is at propaganda. If you look at the setup of the movie, it's basically that's governments should look at this documentary to see how they should structure their diet advice because they tackle arguments from the opposition, they go into what will uh, be clear rebuttals. If you talk about protein, for example, they Already talk about, for example, protein you talk about, yeah, this comes from a, a paper from 196 or whatever. No, it comes from like 50 years of replicated experiments that all say exactly the same thing, repeatedly show that there's a mass consensus that protein quality is an issue and it doesn't matter. But then they're like, oh no, it's, it's a, it was a 196 paper and uh, really actually doesn't matter. But they tell compelling stories and give individual stories, show high performing athletes, as you know, tests like the blood, show like blood quality, which is normal, blood looks like that when there's more fat in it. So you know, all these tricks, they manipulate you into becoming vegan and essentially in the end probably buying more vegan products because literally everyone in that movie, ironically, I would say it's the vegan industry, they bundle that stuff. Literally, Everyone in that movie has ties to vegan products, especially protein products. Arnold Schwarzenegger now, at the time he had his vegan and became semi-vegan, he sells ladder, a company that sells protein supplements. James Cameron also uh, leads, uh, I don't even know his name, the guy that tells like most of the story. Also, pretty much everyone. So, it's uh, definitely just complete propaganda. Right, okay. This is interesting. Okay, let's add some spice to this. Menno has already started covering up some points which were covered or showed in the movie like that colloid insulation. We'll get, we'll get to that part. And before I actually get to Sane and Melissa, uh, I want to ask you guys, okay, let's say it's a propaganda, but not once did they mention, mention the name of the company. I mean, we all know that James Cameron is uh, having one of the largest key protein companies. Those are his aspirations. 
aspirations. The company is not a one billion dollar company yet. What's wrong with that? Isn't the meat industry doing that for millions of years? And isn't the cigarette industry? So one of the things which was featured in the movie and that actually caught a lot of attention was that when cigarette cigarette came out, they were actually distributed by doctors, and there were doctors who were doing commercials of cigarettes, saying, "Hey." The doctor smokes X, Y, Z brand of cigarettes, and for a very, very long period of time, people actually believe that cigarette smoking is going to help you with your throat. So, on one side, you have industry like pharmaceutical industry, you have narcotics industry, you have meat industry, which has been foolishly pushing protein. Now, one thing you know is that protein, like you know, you can have vegan protein, you can have animal protein, and more or less, we'll come to that. But if the meat industry, if the if the you know liquor industry, narcotics industry has been pushing things, the veganism, uh, the vegan guys can come up and say, hey, why not? Why why aren't we supposed to do that? So how do you counter extremism with extremism? I mean, you know, like they they are trying to propagate veganism through this method. We didn't really uh, we didn't really argue when the meat industry or the supplement industry was foolishly promoting these kind of stuff. Why are we so much against this? So. Can I take a shot at that one? So, uh, you know, it's very tempting when uh, some parts of industry or, you know, pharmaceuticals, beef, etc., big beef, uh, when they are uh, fronting uh, sort of half-truths and propaganda in, in order to promote their agenda, uh, it's very tempting to take the alternate view of veganism, for example, and do the same thing, which was done in this movie, right? Uh, but. You know, that's if you play a very short game, and then people discover you're also doing propaganda, and then you're on no net advantage. And meat industry pharma has a ton of money, so it's a tie at best, probably not a tie, because meat is still smaller than all those industries. What you can do is you can do better than propaganda. You can actually tell the truth, possibly in an artistic way, possibly in a convincing way, probably. But if you tell the truth, you elevate yourself above any propaganda and any petty concerns of, oh, it's just their side of the story because you actually have the truth. For example, the Soviet Union and the United States, or you know, Western nations in general, used to be in a propaganda battle between communism and capitalism, right? I think as capitalism works really well anyway, communism sucks. So after a while, the Soviet Union was just telling lies like, it's great here, while people are clawing their way over the border, running away. Yeah, there's nothing North Korea can say about how bad capitalism is that South Koreans aren't like, running to North Korea ever. North Koreans are shot if they try to escape. So you want to be on that side of truth and just say it how it is. After some years, some decades, some time, you're just going to be correct and the other people only have propaganda. It's very tempting to fight dirty and do your own propaganda, but in the end, people can level accusations against you and say, well, you were lying too, and you're like, well, but I was lying for a good cause. Good luck. It's not going to add up in the end. And in the end, if we want veganism to be a part of a normal, healthy diet, which it for sure is, we have to tell the truth. If you're comfortable lying, then you're on the same footing as your opponents and not very good footing at all. Right. Right. But here, here's the thing. Almost all the movies made, they include somewhere of exaggeration. I mean, hello, it's Arnold. The guy's turned Terminator. Lots of them. He's expected to exaggerate things a little bit. So shouldn't we give him a little benefit of doubt? I mean, associate, associate bias uh, by association is not something that uh, the fitness and nutrition industry is like untouched on. Like almost every supplement company, uh, whey protein company, or any of the researchers, aren't they all actually funded by one company or the other? Like almost all whey proteins, they are funded by some of the companies.
I mean, there, you know, there's, I'll, I'll shut up and I'll give it away to somebody else after this. So I think the, the exaggeration is something that occurs all the time, but it is a bad thing that we shouldn't be doing, especially if we really deeply care about a cause. If you really deeply care about a cause and you want it to survive the long term, you have to honor that cause by doing your best possible chance of convincing people for it. And one of the best ways is to use excellent cinematographic techniques, to use compelling storytelling, and the, the truth is fucking really gnarly to hear sometimes. For example, I'll just put myself uh, on the spot, and I don't know if Leon is still around. Leon just gave a talk that was unbelievably compelling, super emotional, super insightful. I took a lot out of it. How many half-truths or propagandistic lies did he tell? Zero. He told the truth in a way that was so unbelievable that it was very, very compelling and very, very pertinent. That can be done with a documentary. And also, now that everyone does propaganda, how refreshing would a documentary with just the truth actually be? People would watch it and be like, holy crap, they've got to be lying. They would look it up online and all the experts would be like, oh, this is actually true. That would be a breath of fresh air. So sometimes when everyone else is telling lies, the truth starts to look better than the lie because it's the only thing of its kind out there. I agree. So, uh, Sane, and uh, of course, I'm gonna come to you guys. Uh, one of the things that, were, that was promoted in the movie was that uh, veganism was kind of uh, a popular means of dieting for uh, you know gladiators. And this is something which I could not really wrap around my head. Like those guys were eating grain and not really meat. I mean, uh, one of the things that I did personally like in the movie was this. Like, they went back to history and then they said that uh, you know now they have uh, figured out a scientific way in which they can really check out what went in the bodies of uh, the athletes and they figured that it was largely grains. Uh, do you do you see that there is some truth to it? There is actually a problem with that because those gladiators were like vegan on purpose. So in that time, the gladiators were slaves mostly. And people would feed slaves only like the very cheap uh, products, so right. that would be mostly grains. But I think there's also research that shows that they would eat like tiny bits of insect or um, meat, like organ meats and stuff like that. Right? You uh, wrote an article. I think you you researched this, right? Yeah, based on nitrogen levels. Yeah, based on nitrogen levels, uh, they didn't consume meat. It's not like they were vegan. Um, like someone was saying, it's probably mostly that the idea that the best fighters the whole time were vegan. It's more like they had slaves that they threw in cages to fight to the death. And what do they feed the slaves? Well, the cheapest possible food, and that's not the same. Right. So, so it, it's hard to say if they would have performed better if they had better products available. Yeah, it, it could largely be also because they were forced to train. I mean. They literally they had forced, to yeah. fight for survival, right? Yeah. It's exactly. either a fight or die. Exactly. So it's, yeah. just not a, it's just not a fun game where it's like a friendly uh, competition. It's right. like living your life. So, yeah. Right. Dr. Melissa Davis, I want to ask you about the whole polite isolation thing that they did. I mean, the poor sample size is apparent. Everybody knows that they had three athletes and uh, they were fed, fed uh, burritos. Uh, uh, first, they were fed like uh, meat filled burritos and then they were filled, uh, they were uh, fed uh, vegan burritos and they took a blood sample and the scientists there all all that and then they saw that the, that the colloidal solution uh, was a little muddy, it was filled with fatty acids. I mean, is that something normal? 
they didn't control what, how much fat or what types of fat. They, I mean, actually, in that same um, section, they flash a bunch of literature. These papers showing that this happens in the blood, this happens in the blood when you consume fat, animal fat. What they don't tell you is that if you go back and read those papers, there was no vegans in any of those papers. What they did was compare a high fat diet with meat to a very low fat diet with meat. Same differences as if it were a vegan versus a meat eating diet. I don't know. So there, there was the blood solution, and and uh, the meat eating guys after after they had the uh, right. So that that you will see that the blood after eating certain types and amounts of fat. Yeah, it was so a little cloudy. Yeah. Well, there's many problems with the three person study. Obviously, it's not statistically powerful. And then on top of that, I, there was no control for how much fat or types of fat. So if you wanted to do that, you would want to get a vegan like monounsaturated fat, for example, and a non-vegan monounsaturated fat, or the closest thing that you could get. So you can have a more viable comparison, and then you want to control how much fat was in each burrito as well, and what they eat before. Right, because it's, it's powerful imagery, you know, you take somebody's blood, and then you show them the blood solution, and you show them that if you're eating vegan food, the solution is pretty clear, but if you're eating meat, the solution is just cloudy. Uh, yeah. That's a that's a yeah, you know, it's, it's a bad image for people. And yeah. Well, it's normal that after fatty meal, like Melissa says, your blood gets more clouded. But would be interesting to see is like one hour later or like five hours later because it will return back. That's like, normal. Yeah. Like it's like it's completely normal that if you eat a high fat meal, your blood is more diluted. So right. it's not necessarily something to worry about. It doesn't say that much. I mean, it would be like you have to look at a lot more markers, to, like their health markers, to actually say something about their health. And then it's not even like a scientific study yet. But it would like be more interesting if you see like over time, like their actual health and biomarkers and all that. All right. Okay. The next question I want to ask about the testosterone levels. Okay, this is probably all the men in the room would be interested in. They said that after the vegan meal, and they actually did the libido test, and they asked to have a vegan meal, and then they attached some thing to their desktop, and then they, they checked out how many times did the stuff go up and down during nighttime. That's how they measure their libido levels at night. How much truth do you see to that, Dr. Mike? How much truth do you see to the fact that vegan diets are help increase testosterone levels or free levels in men? versus uh, like a non-vegetarian diet. So there's a, a decent amount of literature on testosterone and other hormone correlations between vegan and non-vegan diets or meat consumptive diets. And the vast preponderance of that research tilts just slightly into the, into the direction away from vegan diets towards meat consumptive diets. But I wouldn't say it's a huge difference in most cases if you do a very good job at being a vegan and you can maintain relatively normal levels of uh, serum testosterone, so on and so forth. Uh, so if I had to design a diet for optimal libido, well, for whoever needs that sort of thing, uh, I would design a diet that was purposefully not vegan. Uh, and, uh, you know, so, so that goes as far as that. But I wouldn't say that veganism is uh, some kind of libido-destroying diet. But it, if you do veganism poorly and you under-eat a bunch of nutrients, you will have lower libido because you're eating a crappy diet. That will happen with a bunch of other kinds of diets. Um, and uh, just going back really quick, just I gotta mention this, the cloudy blood thing with the, the vials. 
like uh, just a real interesting cursory examination on just straight logic for that scene. Um, you know, is cloudy blood worse than regular blood? How do we know? Is that the case? Are we so sure that's true? I don't know. Right? Yeah. Hell yeah. Cloudy blood. So uh, it's just it's one of those things. It's very interesting cinema device where they're like, well, this is regular blood. You know, you've seen plenty of regular blood when you're beating people up, blood spurts out of their face, you notice it's red, right? And then the cloudy blood, well, that's gotta be bad. Is it bad or is it just fats in the blood? Are fats in the blood bad? Look, if they're on their way somewhere and they're properly transitioned, no. Uh, so if you, well, a nutritional scientist or doctor sees that, they're gonna be like, oh, they got them after a high fat meal. And you'd be like, that's bad, right? And they're like, mm, no, not necessarily. You know, like imagine, you feed humans nothing uh, in one experiment, and in another experiment you feed them plenty of food and the humans poop after eight hours, and the other group doesn't poop. The aliens who made the documentary are gonna be like, you see, do you want poop? And you're like, no, that looks bad. They want Tony? Thank you so much. Dr. Melissa, I wanna ask you. Uh, actually, before that, let me, let me take views from Paul and Mike. Did you guys do you guys think that they, they categorically categorically included the testosterone thing in the movie because uh, you talk about two largest populations in the world, which are also very hot destination for any kind of movies these days, India and China, and majority of the country is vegetarian. So what happens is if an Indian watches the documentary and they see about the testosterone thing, and he goes like, you know, that's it. They're saying it right, I'm a vegetarian. That's why we have such a huge population. What do you have to say about that? <laughs> and look at Japan. <laughs> I think there's a high level of influence in that. Um, and and it, it stems to the entire movie in general. You know, if, if you see something that you're heavily influenced with, and, and think of the backers behind this film too. And I'm going to stray a little bit here. You know, you've got Arnold Schwarzenegger, you've got James Cameron, you had Jackie Chan, Novak Djokovic was also involved in the film. That, they're heavy hitters. So straight away, you got to raise awareness to watch this film. And everyone's watched this film, so it's done its job in terms of exposure and obviously return investment and things like that. So that particular snippet of the film, I'm sure plenty of people have taken that at face value and then run with it as well. And have changed significant parts of their lifestyle to suit because they might have an issue in that area. So the influence from that alone, um, again, it, it, it comes down to the individual's research and knowing what they're doing, but if you are an uneducated individual, that can heavily influence or sway your perception on that. Right. Any comments? Okay. <laughs> yeah, so erectile function is not that closely related to testosterone levels in the first place. And if you want high testosterone levels, then you eat bully bark, therefore. And bully bark for more anabolic hormones is cholesterol. And you can make cholesterol the only way pretty much is that it's vegan cholesterol. The body synthesizes itself, it won't synthesize enough. So you consume a certain amount of saturated fat. So you actually need cholesterol and saturated fat for enough testosterone. Your body gets the details of bully bark. Now your body can produce it itself to a reasonable level. And the question is, mechanistically, you know, can the body compensate enough for not having added diet to produce enough itself? Then, Mike says, if you look at the literature, it appears that maybe it's can, but probably not 100% fully. And I'd add to that that when you look at epidemiological literature, uh, when you're comparing vegans to non-vegans, vegans are always favored in the comparison because 
by definition, vegans care about their health. They are people on a diet, regardless of which diet. They are people that, for, for whatever reason, maybe misguided, maybe not, they are interested in improving their health, or at least, you know, paying attention to their food choices compared to the average individual that has absolutely no clue and eat McDonald's and whatever. So generally, vegans um, are they do more exercise. They watch fewer TV. They consume less meat, less cholesterol, less fat. There's a whole bunch of factors that vegans generally outperform non-vegans on. But if you compare vegans to equally health conscious non-vegans, then almost all these factors disappear. Now, for testosterone, so you probably need a non-vegan diet for optimal testosterone levels. And in terms of libido, what they're referring to is endothelial function, which is how your, your blood uh, flows and how, how well it can flow through your veins. That's that's mainly a concern if you're overweight and you're in really poor uh, health, because then the blood flow actually gets obstructed enough. So, on the one hand, you have the testosterone component, you actually want to be non-vegan for it. You don't need to be vegan to have good endothelial function. And as I stated, there are big differences in the acute response to a meal, so your blood gets cloudy. And I would say that, that is generally uh, a bad sign, but it, it's not something that goes up over time. So if you look at blood glucose, if someone consumes carbs, their blood glucose goes up, they have higher blood sugar. Oh my God, right? So bad sign, but it goes back to normal. And over time, high carb and low carb diets can be equally viable for blood sugar control. In fact, if you look at um, saturated fat, for example, we know that over the long run, higher saturated fat intakes generally leads to higher testosterone production. In the short run, consume a meal rich in saturated fat, it decreases testosterone levels. So there are many biomarkers you can look at that first deteriorate and afterwards improve over time. So this, this short you know, period, what they look at really doesn't mean anything. Right. Uh, one of the interesting, interesting questions uh, that was raised in the movie was about protein itself. Like for, for so many years, the protein industry has been pegging uh, supplements as the best source of protein and then came along uh, beef protein and then you know they have the chicken and fish and so and so I mean meat industry has its own flaws right and there comes along this movie where the scientists stand up and say confidently hey wait a minute there's no difference between animal protein and plant protein all the protein that's in animals actually come from the plants so I want to know your views Dr. Melissa how true is this and then I have a supplementary question but let's first start with this one. Is it true that animal protein and plant protein are the same? I'm not talking about bioavailability, but otherwise, what's, what's the structure? So, there was a, first of all, start with a great meme, I don't remember who posted it, but it took that a step further and said, well, why don't you just photosynthesize it? Well, step back. <laughs> so, plant protein, in terms of essential amino acids, there's no difference between the essential amino acids and plant protein, and that in animal protein, how well your body can access them and how good the ratios of those amino acids are do differ between plant and animal protein. If you're a careful vegan, you can make sure you're intaking the right ratios of amino acids in amounts that will give you as much as you need. And you can essentially, if you're careful, be equivalent to a meat eater and within like a margin of error. So what disappointed me about this whole documentary was because they have like some great examples of athletes who were very successful vegan athletes but they're committing a fallacy just because someone's doing something a single person's doing something and they're 
excelling, they're eating a vegan diet and they're excelling in their sport, doesn't mean that that is statistically the best idea for everyone. It means that it's possible. And I think that's an important message because there's a lot of people who don't want to eat animals for ethical reasons. And to know that they can, if they're careful of their nutrition, they can still excel in their sport and be aligned with their ethics is awesome. But to take that a step further and say that this anecdote means everyone should be vegan and that's the best idea is just plain incorrect. Right. Does that answer your question or did I go too far outside? Where are you guys? Yeah. Fair enough. Another question. Um, yeah, that's right. yeah, sure, please. Go ahead. So the, the idea of we cut out the middleman is a really nice rhetoric, right? So, you know, the, the animals, they just get it on plants. So why not just eat the plants directly? Well, I say, Let's take it one step further. The plants, they get it from the sun and the soil. So how about we skip the plants and we just eat soil and the sun Well, hold on a second. I say because the soil and the sun got their energy from the collisions in the first several nanoseconds of the universe, I think we go straight to the universe for energy, folks. <laughs> the universe diet, Neno. Where is it, Maybe, maybe Clement can help us help us with that. That's right. You know, so. uh, I, I do have to say that uh, just one thing is that protein companies say that supplements are the best sources. There is an argument to that. Whey protein is probably the best protein source uh, so far studied as, as far as uh, how much, uh, what its amino acid ratios and digestibility. So we can't just say like, oh, you know, supplements are not the best, that's a myth. They're actually very good. No, I'm, I'm fine with whey protein. I was just uh, purely mentioning about beef protein. Beef protein was a major hit on the market a few years back. And uh, was brought it in there. It was disgusting. Yeah. So what do you have to say about beef protein? Oh yeah, so have you had beef protein before? Have you ever had nah, beef protein? Nah, nah, don't, nah, yeah, yeah. So don't try it, because it tastes like, it's like chocolate flavor, but it tastes like blood. Like it has an aftertaste of blood. So if you're a vampire, you might really like beef protein. Uh, Melissa Davis and I have beef protein. Bar, I, I don't right? think beef protein even has that much bioavailability. I mean, we have eggs and then we have whey protein, right? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, beef protein is worse than eggs and worse than whey by a small margin. It's a fine. Yeah. So it's definitely a fad. Yeah, it was definitely just sold as some kind of huge benefit in the industry. So two things, you have whey protein and you have eggs with the highest bioavailability. I want to come back with a supplementary question. Important question about B12. Yeah, this is something which was mentioned again and again and they did it with so uh, authority, so much authority. They said, you know, we, we uh, vegans have always claimed that we are low in uh, B12. And B12 is an important micronutrient for your metabolism. And so vegans tend to have lower levels of B12. But these guys came back and they said, it's not just us. Everybody is uh, having deficiency in B12. It's just that uh, even the animals don't have B12. And the animals raised on farms are injected with B12 injection, which does have some truth to it. So if animal protein in itself is not having B12, I mean the animals are being injected and the vegans are not getting B12 plants, uh, like why do we even have this comparison? Or do you think there's, there's just no uh, truth to it? Yeah, Dr. Melissa, can we have your views first and then from the B12, yeah. So that, that's definitely not true. I mean, I've never had a client deficient in B12 that was not vegetarian or vegan, actually. 
So it's, if you have a high protein intake from animal sources, it's pretty unlikely. Like if you compare general population, they're deficient in everything. You, if you take the average person off the street in America, for example, there is a very good chance they'll have several deficiencies. Vitamin D deficiency rates are at 44% even in outdoor athletes. So if you take the average individual, especially you know, someone that's you know, at a desk job, they, they get no sun, they get very little vitamin D in food. They are almost certainly below the optimum level of vitamin D. Uh, magnesium, zinc, most minerals these days due to soil mineral depletion, very low intake, so very high chance of deficiency. Iodine, the deficiency rates are so high that most of them mandate iodizing salt. So you know, the idea that, yeah, if you look at the average individual as a hallmark of health, maybe we just need to step up our standard a little bit. So, uh